Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello! This is the Relunchables Podcast. I'm Jordan Holzer. In each episode, we will be breaking down another 90s, early 2000s kids movie. I am not alone. Each episode, I'll be having on special guests to help me relive my childhood. This is a bonus episode in which I bring on the star of Johnny Tsunami, Brandon Baker. I would like to thank all the fans who wrote into the podcast at therelunchables at gmail.com. I was overwhelmed by the number of questions for Brandon, and I think we chose a good one for him. So let's get into my interview with Brandon Baker, and just because I love hearing it, let's play the Disney Channel original movie, Intro music. We are now joined by the star of Johnny Tsunami, Johnny Kapahala himself, Brandon Baker. Brandon, thank you so much for joining the Relunchables podcast. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for having me. Before we get into Johnny Tsunami, I'm curious, do you grow up in LA, maybe near Anaheim, perhaps? Uh, I grew up in Orange County. Yeah. Small uh, city called La Palma that had like three car washes and a Carl's Jr. And that's about it. Um, but yeah, but I like, grew up in, in, uh, in like Huntington Beach area, La Palma. Um, yeah, and then went to school in Santa Barbara, so I was a California kid for a long time, and now I live in Colorado. Nice. And what kind of got you started acting growing up? Did you get into theater? Was it through school? What kind of got you started? Yeah, um, yeah, I didn't do theater ever, um, but there was um, like a family friend of mine who their daughter was into it, and my family was like, hey, do you want to like try this out? Maybe get a commercial or two, help pay for college, and I was a pretty easygoing kid. I was like, sure, I'll give it a shot. Um, I happened to be good at it. And mostly I happened to be lucky, like just straight up. Like, I think I was a, you know, a decent child actor, but the first kind of my big break was when I got Jungle Book. Yeah. And I just happened to be an 11 year old brown kid at the time, <laughs> you know, where it's like, had that role not come by or had I not been brown enough or had I been two years older or whatever, <laughs> you know? Um, so it was kind of like serendipitous. Yeah. What was your childhood like? Because it must have been kind of weird. You know, Orange County is not exactly, you know, a quick 15 minute drive into LA. That's kind of a hike to be commuting back and forth. Sure. Were you kind of in and out of auditions and out of class? Yeah. So I guess like when we first started, I like took some acting classes. Like, okay, this is fun. Like I, I was enjoying it, having a good time. And I think the acting coach was like, yeah, I think he can, I think he can do it. I got an agent, I got a manager. Um, and then tried it out for about a year and was doing that hike back and forth, auditions, stuff like that. Um, which was a trek, but, you know, growing up in, in Orange County in Southern California, it, it's kind of just part of the culture in general to be in a car, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but admittedly after the first year, whereas like, I, I kind of booked like a couple like small gigs on like educational videos, things like that. I was like, this is pretty rough. I'm tired of being in the car. I was like really into hockey at the time. I was missing my hockey practices. And so I was like, I don't know if this makes sense if I want to keep doing that and right around that time is when I booked Jungle Book and then kind of off to the races from there. Gotcha. Did you kind of just view acting as kind of like a sport like hockey? Totally. That's exactly uh, what I viewed it as. I mean like growing up I 
loved kind of like impersonating people and characters and voices, uh, but it was never something that like I wanted to like necessarily do. I wasn't like, I want to be an actor, um, but I always loved movies. And so I was like a pretty big like movie buff as a kid. Um, but yeah, basically I'll go to these auditions and think about it just like hockey where I've gone to these audition rooms and some kids and some people are really like magnanimous and gregarious meeting other people. And I thought in my head, like, I, I'm trying to, trying to take this kid out, you know, like, are we allowed to cuss on this podcast, by the way? Say whatever you want. Cool. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to fucking take this motherfucker out. Like this other kid's going down, um, which, you know, is pretty cutthroat as 11 year old, but I was just really competitive. So it was like, I just liked winning. I liked, you know, I was one of the kids that like tried hard, did my best. And this happened to be one of the things I was doing in addition to hockey or in addition to whatever else, um, which obviously like paid off. I'm not that person anymore. I've learned to like really like let that go. But back then it was just like, yeah, game on. Like I would hear them like practicing their lines in the audition. <laughs> like, oh man, this guy, this guy sucks. This guy doesn't have anything. And so, yeah, it's funny to look back on now and be like, Jesus, Brandon, like 11 year old Brandon was just like cutthroat. Good God. Were you that kid in the waiting room? Just like, you know, you better know your lines. Are you getting in people's heads at all? Or were you kind of quiet? Just keeping to yourself? Super quiet to myself. So in my head, I was like, yeah, fuck this motherfucker. But <laughs> to everyone else, I was like, yeah, just like, just a chill dude, just saying hi. But it was just like, I had my game face on for sure. Did you see a difference between yourself and maybe some of the other child actors going out for these parts? Maybe you were just kind of looking at it as more something you were doing on the side. Maybe these kids were looking at this as this is what they're doing for the rest of their life. Yeah. And that's kind of the interesting dichotomy. So I go in the audition and I'm like, I'm going to, you know, knock this out of the park. I'm going to like, you know, I was, I, I was, very present and in the moment when I was there. But at the same time, it was also, I viewed it as, yeah, um, a part of myself, not necessarily the entirety of my identity. So I just remember from being a young age, you know, some people would be like, I'm an actor. And literally since the age of 11 or 12, I was very, I was very much able to distinguish that like, I'm Brandon and I also happen to act. Um, and I think because of that, those two components, A, being pretty competitive in the audition room, and be like not really giving a shit like yeah. it really helped get get the job and, and not only do the job but like uh approach it mentally and emotionally in a way that i can um you know not be in the audition room trying to like kiss ass too much um there's just something to going into an audition like you know desperation is a stinky scent and yeah. because i had another life and these other things i was into that yeah i don't think it was anything that i was that bummed about if i didn't get it so so coming off of Jungle Book and Mowgli and kind of moving into 1999 and you know you have Punks and Johnny Tsunami I think Punks was released in January of that year and Johnny Tsunami was July yeah how did that happen did you just build a relationship with Disney and that's how you kind of got in with those movies what was the casting process going into those like yeah you know so Jungle Book was Walt Disney which was kind of like the the bigger more film side um Punks was kind of an independent um, studio or, or company that I think got eventually bought by Disney. And then Johnny Tsunami was obviously Disney Channel. And at that time, those three things were very much separate. Like back in the day, Disney Channel was kind of looked as like kind of the ugly step kid of like the overall Disney umbrella. Um, but I think it did help that I was obviously known within, you know, that world. So being cast as Mowgli in the Jungle Book was, I think, I think helpful for Disney, but mostly like, oh, this kid's been in a movie before. We can count on him to like be a professional and do his job. Um, 
And then the director of, of Punks, I think he had cast me in, um, I'm trying to think of how this exactly worked, but I think he cast me in like a TV show once before. So he brought me on to Punks, he already knew me. Um, and then by the time I got to Johnny Tsunami, I think I was actually cast in, yeah, maybe enough, maybe even Stevens was right around there. I don't know if that was before or after, but more or less at that same time as kind of like all the casting directors were starting to know me. And just within, you know, that world within the entertainment industry, there is kind of a buzz if someone, you know, books a couple films and a couple guest stars, it's like, okay, this kid's on a roll. He might become something. So he's advantageous to get him on our show now because there will be, you know, obviously added publicity and people will know him from other stuff. So it was just kind of this like groundswell that like took off uh, right around that time. Sure. And we saw that a lot with a lot of crossover. Once kind of Disney labeled you as the next big thing or the next, you know, star, they yeah. wanted to get you out there as many ways as they could, right? Sure. Yeah, totally. I guess I want to ask you about what was your experience like on Punks? I think that movie, like Johnny Tsunami, has such a cult following even 20 years later. Yeah, uh, that one was, that was awesome. That was like one of my favorite sets I've ever been on. Um, because there was a bunch of kids. Um, that was cool. Jungle Book was fun to like work with like the tigers and you know the elephants stuff like that. But there's no other kids. It was basically just me, a bunch of animals, and like you know 100 adults. So that was kind of a bummer for three months. To be like you know like this isn't a ton of fun in the same way that Punks was, where it was like all right, a bunch of us are just goofing off on set, whether or not the camera is on or not. Um, Johnny Tsunami was fun in that in that regard too. But a lot of it was you know me with my dad, and so there wasn't the same like camaraderie like it seemed like there would be days on Johnny Tsunami where it's me and Kirsten Storms or a day where it's me and Lee Thompson Young but rarely were all of us at least in my mind's eye I'm trying to remember it, it didn't seem like the same uh kind of group dynamic that punks had uh and that was right also I was like 13 at the time and Jessica Alba was like 16 and so she like for the I mean pretty much the rest of my life had become like everything that a woman was. I mean, at 13, I'm going through puberty. So her at 16, it was just like, I could not believe how lucky I was. Uh, yeah. There's a story that I always tell, and my, uh, my girlfriend knows the story, because I told her way too many times. <laughs> but I I'd slept with Jessica Alba when I was 13. She was the big spoon, and I was a small spoon. <laughs> it was like this like, late night shoot, and like, we were like sharing the same like trailer, and our moms were like friends. And so, like, in between, like, takes, it wasn't my turn up. And so I, like, went into, like, the back to, like, take a nap or whatever. And she came and spooned me. And it was just like, ah, oh, I will never forget. <laughs> Shout out to Jessica. She's the best. <laughs> that was a few years before she did, like, Into the Blue. And then kind of, like, everybody saw her on that kind of stage. Totally. Totally. But back then, I was like, this is the most beautiful girl that I've ever seen. I know that I have no, sh no chance, <laughs> no shot. But she was kind of like, you know, that, that senior as yeah. me as a freshman. And, like, we happened to be taking, like, the same like, I don't know, ASB class, and, like, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to flirt with her or whatever, and she's like, oh my gosh, you're my little brother, and I'm just like, I'll take it, you know. <laughs> I know I'm kind of bringing you back between the movies and your own personal life, but I'm curious, what was it like being in school at that time, maybe after Punks was released, or even before, were you just kind of another kid, just living your life, you know, was there a lot of notoriety, especially when Punks first came out, and then later Johnny Tsunami, did everything kind of change for you at school? Totally. Yeah. Um, so uh, Jungle Book and, and Punks were more or less around like junior high, end of junior high. 
And then once I got into high school, I was doing, yeah, Johnny Tsunami, and I did a TV show on NBC called One World. So there's like a four to five year span there where I was working, you know, full time, like 40 hours a week on set and going to school full time. Um, luckily, my, my teachers and my schools at that time, they were like really cool with it. Um, I was a good student, which helps too. Um, but generally speaking, I was probably there for maybe 25% of the time. So especially when I was doing One World, we would do three weeks of shooting, three episodes, we take one week hiatus and then back and, and repeat. And obviously if I did a film, I'd be gone for like a couple months potentially. Um, but I never wanted to be homeschooled. I, I always wanted to stay in public school. I still kind of wanted to like keep my same friends. And so, yeah, and so I did it because I, I just wanted to be normal. I wanted to maintain a certain yeah. amount of like normalcy. Um, I wasn't able to do that. <laughs> like, it was great that I tried to do that. And I think the intentions were like, were like right. And like, um, but the actuality of me coming back into school and thinking that things were going to be the same is not going to happen. Like, yeah. you know, uh, my friend group changed, how people thought about me changed. I became like really infamous. Like, so everyone knew me, but no one actually knew who I was. It was just like, the girls really liked it which means the guys hated it, which means they wanted to kick my ass. People, some, some people thought like, oh, he's so full of himself. He's so cool. So, you know, da-da-da-da. He's so cocky. He's da-da-da-da. Um, yeah, which was like tough. It was like difficult to like navigate. Um, but, you know, I um, definitely wanted to, to stick with it and, and try to see if I could be, be normal somewhat. And, uh, you know, I think all things considered, it, it worked out pretty well, but but yeah, like I would come back into class and, you know, if you're like a regular dude who's in Spanish class and this one guy who's only there for a week out of the month comes back and he's yeah. getting good grades on the test, I'd be like, who the fuck is this motherfucker? <laughs> why the fuck do I have to go to class and this guy doesn't, you know? I would feel the same exact way. Yeah. So I totally get it. Um, but yeah, I don't know, just going back to, I guess what you were saying about the, do you view yourself different? It's just, I didn't want to yeah, I still wanted to have like a normal high school life. I still wanted to, you know, get my driver's permit and, you know, TP someone's house and go to the dances and, and do all that. So that was always really important to me. Um, so I'm glad I did that. Do you ever wonder now if you had social media back then, like what that would have looked like for you? Because I'm sure, you know, I'm sure you got a ton of attention as it was, but imagine nowadays with possibly millions and millions of Instagram and Twitter followers and kind of recounting your every move. I think it's tough for young celebrities now to deal with that kind of pressure. It would have been, it would have been nuts. I, I really kind of just barely missed it, um, which, you know, you could take that in a multitude of ways. I'm sure had I came along a little bit later, because right after me was like, uh, you know, like um, High School Musical and Miley Cyrus and that whole generation was like two years behind me or, or something of that nature. And I know a lot of those people. I was able to maintain a sense of anonymity, which was always really important to me. Um, like I always felt like there's a lot of people in my business. So it was really important for me to, um, to know who I was and to have my life outside of that. And even today, like I'm not the most social media active person, um, which is, uh, you know, a carryover of that where it's like, I know who I am. The people in my life know how I feel, what I do. Um, as I get older, I'm, I'm more comfortable and wanting to share that a little bit more. But back then it was so overwhelming that like everywhere I went, not that it was so crazy, not like I'm not Tom Cruise or anything, but you know, when I'm like 16 and I'm in an amusement park and there's people just following me around, like yeah. 
at that time I just wasn't mature enough to like handle that appropriately. Not that I was a total dick about it, but it was just like, dude, I can't even go to amusement park or I can't like, you know, like in college, like people talking shit at a party, you know, that I just walk into, I don't know anyone. And it was like, man, I really just want to just be a person living my freaking life. So, um, but you know, by the same extension, it's like with social media, a lot of those people were able to really lean into it and really like have a career that was really out in the open and, and using their platform and really engaging with fans in that way. Um, like I was just recently on Chrissy Carlson Romano's her show. And we actually talked about that after we like cut the tape and she was like, so what is it like not acting anymore? Like, do you love it? And I was like, yeah, it's awesome. It's, it's <laughs> rad. Like I am really glad I had the career that I did, but I really like the freedom that, that I get to, you know, choose who and how I want to be. Obviously, I, I love my career. I'm thankful for it. Um, and still have no problem engaging with, you know, people like you and, and others because, honestly, 98% of the time, it's all, like, positive and love. Um, but also the amount of freedom that I've, that I've gained since then has been awesome. Then I asked her, I was like, so what is it like, you know, now that your whole life, you're a, you're a brand, you know? Yeah. Um, and she was like, yeah, it's it's tough at sometimes there's like ups and downs. Like she went to Columbia. She's like, yeah, you know, the, the, the lifestyle that I've achieved and that I like to live is like, it would not be possible otherwise. But yeah, but you know, like I'm just not the type of person that wants to be like, and I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm full of shit. Maybe in five years I will be saying like, Oh, I'm wearing this and my sofa is sponsored by so-and-so and, and here's the vacation that I went on and you should go here with these people. That's just, not typically or that's not who I am right now um and so that whole life would have been false for me yeah and Christy's a good example of someone that's really leaned into it has a whole cooking show and you know is always on Instagram always videoing and YouTubing and everything I can imagine having that kind of attention at that age is is difficult like I could imagine someone like myself handling it let alone you know someone in their early teens and going into you know being an adult I, th- I think there was a part of me that always kind of knew going back to what we said earlier that like, okay, well, this is something that I liked doing, but it didn't necessarily feel intrinsically like who I was. So to lean into that would have taken me down a rabbit hole of, of a life just straight up, you know, that potentially I couldn't have gotten myself out of. I mean, even in my own, in my own life where that didn't happen, it was hard to extricate myself from, you know, all of the people in my life that kind of supported that, whether that's like the fans or an agent or a manager, even my family or friends. I mean, to, to know someone who's an actor is, is a cool thing, generally speaking. I feel that same way about my friends who are like musicians or athletes. I'm like, ah, oh, this is so cool that I know this person. Um, and so it was hard for me to kind of like, I don't want to say let those people down, but everyone, you know, was like, yeah, you should still do that. And everyone's all jazzed about it. It was, it was really hard for me to separate, you know, at least for, for a while between what I knew versus what I really wanted. Sure. And I know you spent some time on that Even Steven set. Did you see a different dynamic between, you know, what Shia was kind of going through with his parents and the kind of support you were getting from your own? Totally. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, between Shia, me and Christy, I mean, you know, just three different humans, three different yeah. personalities. And obviously our three paths have gone completely different. Um, Shia was one of those guys that you, that you just knew was going to, he had the thing, he had the something. And even back then you could tell that this guy was just a natural artist performer. 
Whereas I would go and I would act, you know, straight up, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I can like, you know, and I can act whatever, but he has like a, my gosh, my sister's, oh my God, my sister is getting texts and I'm on her computer. I'm so sorry. Gosh, that's hilarious. <laughs> like, what is that? Like a chainsaw? What's going on over there? What's funny is I think her husband was trying to call her. <laughs> and so her husband has a motorcycle, I don't know, audio clip. Anyway. Yeah, Shia. Anyway, um, yeah, that dude just like had the thing. Whereas like this guy, he's never turning it off. He's never turning it on. This is just who he is. He is just this walking, breathing um, expression of, of self. Um, I think Christy was a little bit more kind of business oriented about it from the get-go. Like I even remember when we were growing up, she was just a little bit more um mature and um i don't even say political but she she knew the career that she was in and she knew the game that she was playing um and i was like oh this is cool i like people I like meeting people i love new experiences this is rad um but i'm not either of those few people so moving into johnny tsunami which is of course why we have you on the podcast mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about the casting process for that movie was snowboarding part of the audition you know, what kind of experience did you have just leading up to the actual shoot itself? Yeah, so there's probably, I don't know, five, six, seven rounds of auditions, something like that. Wow. But I knew the casting director from Even Stevens. Um, and Disney knew who I was. Um, Steve Boyum was the director. Um, and I think I maybe had worked with him before, and he was a former stunt guy. Yeah. He was getting his first shot as a director. Um, and I actually auditioned for the role with a cast on because I'd broken my wrist snowboarding like hmm. that season. And so going into it, I was like, oh, crap. This is, <laughs> I don't know if this is going to like help me or hurt me. I go in there and Steve's like, oh, you broke snowboarding? Awesome. And he was like, all about it. He's like, you'll be fine. Um, He's so like, you do your own stunts, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I think that legitimately helped me out, at least in his eyes. From the get-go, that one always felt like it was my role. You know, there, there are certain auditions where you're like, yeah, I could see myself in this. There's other ones where you're like, I don't know, this would be a stretch. And then there's a select few where you're like, this is mine. If, if I hit it, you know, if I do what I, what I aim to like uh, accomplish within the audition or whatnot, then I'm going to get this job. And that was one of the few in my lifetime. I was like, oh my God, this is like a Hawaiian kid who's also multi-ethnic, um, who surfs and snowboards. At the time, I was doing both of those things. Typically before then, like a lot of my roles were of like ethnically ambiguous kids yeah. or I was the friend, the best friend or the love interest. So it's like, almost like I never really had parents because, you know, back in 99, there wasn't a whole lot of representation of multi-ethnic people on screen. Um, I think the one, the few times where I did, I would always have either one parent or I was like adopted or something. Um, and so it's like, wow, you know, I mean, even before, so going back, the, the girl who kind of got me into acting, whose family was like, Hey, we're doing this. Do you want to do this too? We met doing, um, Polynesian dancing. So, hmm. um, my family, like my mom danced, my dad drummed, my sister danced, I danced as well. It was like competitive. So like the Polynesian culture and like Hawaiian culture was like very much embedded in like who I was before acting ever started. So it just felt like between the Hawaiian part, snowboarding, the surfing thing, the multi-ethnic, it was just this uh, coalescence I was like, just felt meant to be. 
And so I went through like the first couple auditions and was like, oh, this isn't the bag. Like I'm killing this. This is like, this is, this is pretty close to who I am. So it's really hard for me to think why they wouldn't choose me. And there was a couple of dudes who were like, kept on making it through the rounds. And it was down to me, Dion Bosco, who was a Filipino guy who was on City Guys. Um, it was a TV show on NBC at the time. I actually guest starred on the show. So me and him knew him. We we're actually like friends. Um, and then like one other guy. And Dion was like maybe, I think he was like 20 at the time. I was like 13. Another guy I think was like, was like Hispanic. He was like a Mexican guy. And so I'm sitting in the audition room like, I'm pretty sure I have this. Like, I mean, it says 13 year old Hawaiian, right? <laughs> totally. But I would be like shocked if I didn't get this. And yeah, luckily I got that's awesome. And those, I think those Disney Channel original movies were so progressive for their time. Even now looking back on it, you see the interracial parents, you see a lot of, you see pretty much everyone on the spectrum represented in these movies. Totally. And that's something even missing from today's kids programming, to be honest. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, back then it was like surfing and snowboarding on TV was like not even that, you know, yeah. really a thing yet. Snowboarding was still this brand new I mean, even in the movie, it's this like counterculture thing, like, ooh, snowboarders, what a bunch of rebels. And now it's like, obviously, that's, that doesn't really exist at, at all anymore. But um, yeah, it was, it was cool. It was cool to be a part of. Was it shot in Hawaii? Was that in LA? And then I know the Vermont scenes were really just Utah. We're Utah, but we did shoot it all in Hawaii. So nothing oh, wow. was, was filmed in uh, California. Uh, what kind of memories do you have from set working with, of course, the late Lee Thompson Young and Zach Bostrom and Kirsten Storms? What do you remember about that group? Yeah, really cool group. Um, yet again, like everyone was super nice. We all got along great. Um, yeah, Zach was great. He was both him and my dad in the movie were probably like two of the nicest guys I've ever met who played two of the biggest dicks like, so <laughs> successfully. Like Zach is such an asshole in the movie, but he's just the sweetest human offset. It was really like jarring to like deal with even back then. Yeah. Like almost felt like I shouldn't interact with this guy because he's supposed to be my my like evil counterpart. It's <laughs> a sweetheart. It was, yeah, it's like it's hard to act in a way. Um, yeah, Yuji Okamoto, who is, was my father in the film, me and him are like really good friends and um, still to this day. But we had a lot of like, you know, shot a lot of uh, scenes together and we were in Utah for about a week before anyone else was there, like just sh shooting our stuff. Um, and that was, I don't know if it was the first time we were together, but, but basically it was just me and him and he would like pick me up and we go to like arcades and he did a really good job of like, all right, let's try to establish, you know, uh, a relationship outside of just the actual set and scenes. Um, and so we like had a blast. He's just like a big kid. Um, yeah, Lee, yeah, that dude, that dude was awesome. We had some really good times. I've, I've told the story a lot of times, but, um, we'd rap a lot. It was like, there was like, I remember it was like uh, Buster Rhymes had a new album out. Lauren Hill had a new album out. And we would just like listen to like a bunch of music. Uh, and then we would like freestyle. Like, and he was the one who would try to get me to freestyle. And, and don't get me wrong, I definitely tried. Yeah. But the thought it was, was so cool that I had this, you know, which, what felt like this like older, like I think he was a year older than me, this like older brother or like older cousin, black guy who like wanted to like rap with me. It was just like, Oh my God, I feel so cool. Um, but yeah, we would like hang out and stuff and like, you know, scope out and on girls and whatnot as we're like 13 or 14. So yeah. whatever the hell that means. But, um, but I like, yeah, he was always just, yeah, he was a really cool dude. I was like, I always knew that he was cooler than me, you know? 
Yeah. I was totally down to like just hang out like next to him kind of thing. Um, yeah, and Kirsten Summers was rad too. Like me and her kind of like had a, a little fling thing when we were 13 for whatever that means. <laughs> um, yeah, she was like super cute and nice. And we all, you know, went to the same, uh, like the school on set every day together. And, you know, and yeah, had a good time. No, that's awesome. Yeah, we had Zach Bostrom on the podcast earlier this week, and I was shocked to find out how nice he was. Honestly, I was expecting this huge asshole to come on the podcast, and he couldn't have been nicer. I'm way more of an asshole than he is, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Which isn't saying much, because he's so nice. Everyone's more of an asshole than he is. He brought up that apparently there was a scene at the very end in the party where he kind of gets a little bit of redemption. He offers you a rematch, and unfortunately, that scene got cut out. It would have been nice if he had some levity to his character at the end there. but. Like he was just not. a kid. Yeah. Like, oh, no, he's evil. No. <laughs> <laughs> so it appears like you kind of stopped acting around 2007, right before you did, of course, the sequel, Johnny Kapahala, back on board. And I'm curious for that sequel specifically, that had been, what, eight years in the making. How did that sequel come to be? I think there was a bit of a rights issue maybe, and they had to kind of change the sport. Uh, can you just walk me through what that process was like? Yeah, well, they were actually planning on doing a sequel before then. Like, I would say, I don't know, somewhere around 2003, 2004, something like that. Um, and then the tsunamis hit Southeast Asia. And so the name Johnny Tsunami was like, oh, we can't do that now. There was a script. We were kind of in pre-production. And then I was like, ah, politically, you know, just out of sensitivity for people going through that. It's probably not the right time to do that. Which is a bummer because at that time, Johnny Tsunami was like, you know, pretty big. There was like talks of them making it into a TV show. And then all that kind of got, you know, put on the back burner. I don't know how it got picked back up again. I was in college at the time and out of nowhere, I got a call from um, my manager. It was like, hey, you know, I know you're not really looking to act anymore, but like they, here's the script, you should read it. And I was like, okay. And it was, you know, like Johnny Tsunami was one of, like I've done a lot of things where you're on the set and you kind of know that it's not going to be good to be fair. Like you're just like, I don't think that this is going to necessarily be anything that anyone wants to write home about. Um, there are other times on a set where you're like, Oh my gosh, this is magic and we totally have it. And it ends up being shit. So there really isn't necessarily a rhyme or reason. Um, but sometimes you are on a set and you're like, Oh, this might be something. And then it actually does become something good. And Johnny Tsunami was that where, we did feel like a family on the set. Um, the director, the production, um, Disney, the cast, it all kind of came together. And there was definitely like chemistry. And obviously we caught lightning in the bottle in the sense that we're still talking about it now 20 years later. So yeah. um, it just has become one of those, yeah, films that means so much to so many people. Um, I forget what the question was. <laughs> It was just about the sequel and how it came to be. Oh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so thank you. Um, when, the, when it was like, when the cast kind of came back and I saw that everyone's going to kind of gear back up for again, it was like, all right, totally. Like, if there is one to do again, it would be this one. Maybe we can catch lightning in a bottle twice, you know? Um, and so, yeah, went and read the script and, and did it in New Zealand. Uh, you know, I don't think, just full disclosure, I don't think it had the same magic that the first one did. Um, it was a different... Um, different director, different producers. Um, we had all like, you know, aged. And I think also we had seen those other scripts previously about where it could have gone. And so it kind of took on a, a, it's, um, a life of its own. 
Um, but I still think it's, yeah, it's a quality film. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people who like, who love that movie. Um, obviously there's a ton of people who love Johnny Tsunami, but yeah, back on board, there's, you know, just like you said, there's that eight year gap. So it's a completely different generation of people who kind of grew up with it. Exactly. And, you know, we saw the Halloween town movies get three movies and Xenon, you know, I think, we, I think the viewers were expecting that from Johnny Tsunami and then it didn't come for so long. And then here it is, you know, eight years later. And I, I know my, yeah, I know myself who kind of aged out of that range for Disney channel yeah. original movies was like, uh, kind of passed the boat here and, you know, but you know what, I'm glad we did get it, uh, kind of moving on and transitioning, you know, what kind of led you out of acting, kind of wanting to pursue different pursuits, maybe professionally. I know you said you were in college at the time they were shooting Johnny Capahala. you know, what kind of ultimately led you out of acting? It's hard to say specifically. It was something that I definitely, um, was grappling with for, for, for a long time, for several years of like, yet again, is this who I am or is this just what I know? Um, you know, getting into acting at 11 and then pretty much acting full time until I was 18. And even when I was in college and after college, would pretty much do a film or a gig year kind of thing. Um, was still me trying to figure out uh, and trying to extrapolate from my own identity, like who I was. I think to, to lock into something at 11, you know, before I hit puberty, it's just a, it was, it became so much a part of, of my identity and gave me a lot of cool stuff. I mean, yeah. I was able to travel the world. I was able to like meet really cool people. I made really good money. Um, I had a career. I had friends. I had really experiences that like opened my mind and have shaped, you know, in large part who I am today. Um, but because of that, you know, I think had I been 18 and chosen to act at that point, I think you're a little bit more of a fully formed individual. Uh, and therefore you can choose exactly what, you, you know, what calls do you um, while also having an identity outside of your career or, you know, your, your romantic partnership or, or whatever that thing may be. Um, so I think for me, it was difficult to separate the two and that, that took a long time. Um, and then, yeah, but then there was always something that it was just like, I, I love the acting and this is really cool, but I, I'm sorry. I like the acting but I, it wasn't like something that I loved. And I would see people around me who were like really, really passionate about it. And after a while, I, it was just something that I was trying so hard to like doing. Hmm. I was just like, I need to just like, I need to stop this. I need to find something else. And that took a while too. Like the letting go was, was difficult um, because it was like, well, I mean, all of a sudden I had all this freedom to pursue any of these number of things, but um, that was overwhelming in a way as well. Um, so for a little bit, I was like doing like woodworking and I worked at like a custom furniture place. Um, I was just like bartending for a little bit just to kind of like see what it's like having a, you know, normal job, traveling yeah. the world for a while. Um, and then eventually found myself in Colorado and now I work as a, as a wedding officiant for an elopement company, um, which is awesome. I don't know if it's like the thing that I'm going to be doing forever. It really might be because... It brings me a ton of joy. I get to be outside in these amazing like mounts and locations, marrying people in love. Yeah, it's, it's a great, like I, I'm, a, I'm the type of person who I love, love. I love, like the thing that I think I figured out that I loved about acting was connecting with people. I, I've always been really interested in humans and how they work. Um, and so the part that I loved about acting was like those moments in a scene where two people are like really being authentic and there's a, a palpable connection and you can yeah. see when you go to the movies, you can see it on screen. Uh, you can feel it when you're in this, in the scene as an actor. 
Um, and I definitely feel it when I'm like marrying couples or getting to know them. Um, so that part is still really interesting to me. Um, and so that's kind of like, you know, those tools that I've taken from acting and have parlayed it into this thing. Um, I don't know if it's what I'm gonna be doing forever, but yet again, do I hope I'm marrying people when I'm a 70 year old man? For sure. Like, <laughs> That would be awesome, um, but we'll see. I'm still very much like exploring who I am and what this life is. Um, I'm not one of those people that was just knew like, oh, I'm gonna be this when I grow up or one, like one day I'm just gonna be working to this my whole life. I'm someone who has like a lot of interests. Um, I'm a very curious person and always looking to like grow and try new things. Um, and I envy people who, I mean, I at least sometimes envy people who know exactly who they are and what their lane is. But at the same time, at, at this point in my life, I, I do like that, I, that I'm interested in so many things and can pursue so many things and I'm totally open to where life takes me. Now, that's incredible. And I think, you know, we have so many people on the podcast and some of them are still acting and some of them aren't. And the ones that aren't, they're always kind of looked at as, you know, this person was a failure. They couldn't make it in acting, you know, they burned out as a child. And that's not always the case. You know, a lot of people just become lawyers or doctors or, you know, wedding officiants. It's just, <laughs> just whatever, you know, your path takes you in life. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you fail because I imagine for yourself, you know, you kind of define yourself by what you do oftentimes. And you kind of really? probably saw yourself as an actor at that young age. And when that kind of, you know, you just didn't pursue that anymore, it was kind of a piece of you in who you are. So for sure. I imagine that's difficult. And to be fair, it wasn't as if like I was going to be the next Marlon Brando and was like, you know what? I don't want it. I know I'm destined, <laughs> you know, to be the greatest actor ever, but I don't want it. I definitely like tried hard, you know, but I think I hit, uh, you know, a, a wall in the sense of I don't think I was ever going to be as good of an actor as I wished to be, um, while also being as good of a person as I wanted to be. I think some actors, some people are able to compartmentalize um that that side of themselves that needs to be so emotionally and mentally malleable so it, in a given scene i would go to my acting classes if i had to like access rage or shame or sadness or be distraught or be angry or whatever i i had to kind of be a little bit unhinged um at any given moment's notice and that led to me being much more unhinged in my real life. So I wasn't as good of a, of a boyfriend or a brother or a friend. Um, I do remember specifically in college and even in high school, like my life had gone so, I'm gonna say well, but everything had kind of been lined up to that, um, to that point. And then as I'm becoming an adult actor, I'm having to like really access like harder emotions and deeper emotions. And I remember thinking like, I need to kind of like get some dirt under my nails. I need to like experience heartbreak and I need to be more like fucked up in order to access these roles where I can be that. Um, and I don't think just inherently who I am, like what I came into this world um, personality wise, that I'm just not built to, yeah, to be able to handle that and be able to handle like normal life. Um, you know, I really wanted to be a really good actor, like going back to the, the competitive thing, like the things that I do, I kind of do full bore. Um, but yeah, I just, and, and here's the thing is like the farther away I get from it, the more I respect actors, like, yeah. you know, to be able to do that. And I do think there are some people who are able to compartmentalize that. Like, you know, I can cry in a moment's notice and I can access this deep, you know, <laughs> this deep pain whenever I want. And then two minutes later, I'm a normal person and able to like 
act, you know, rationally, which is a little fucking crazy, let me tell you. I'm just not built that way. And then do know people who are able to do it and like more power to them because it's pretty incredible. So how does that competitive side come out while you're officiating a wedding? Is it just like knowing your lines? Is it making sure everything is clear? How does that competitive side come out? Uh, luckily, it doesn't come out. <laughs> does it come out in my rec league basketball? And as I'm diving for a loose ball? Yeah, 100. <laughs> um, yeah, luckily in my adult life, I've really learned how to uh, like let a lot of that go. Um, and just really looking to, yeah, make those connections with people. Um, I mean, I meet a lot of people who I'm marrying who are fans of Johnny Tsunami, and that's super cool. I meet a lot of couples who've never heard of Johnny Tsunami, and that's super cool. And then I just get to be an officiant. You know, I get to be the person that marries them. So I'm still like this deeply a part of their life in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I never grew up thinking like one day I want to be a wedding officiant, you know? Yeah. Um, but there, yeah, it's like, but there, there are certain things yet again that just kind of make sense with in regard to like who I've been. It involves, you know, like typically my commute is about an hour up into the mountains, which for some other people that I know are like, yeah, I would hate to like, that's too much driving for me. I grew up driving an hour, an hour and a half in LA traffic every day. So now that I'm driving up into the mountains for a sunset wedding, it's just like, oh, perfect. Yeah, I would totally do this. I'll throw on a podcast or yeah. I'll call my family and friends back in California, catch up with them, go marry some people, be a part of that moment. And then go home and tell my girlfriend like, ah, oh, this is like the most beautiful couple. They were super chill. They like, you know, included, like they, they took a shaka picture with me afterwards because they're friends and I tsunami. So <laughs> have yeah. you done any uh, zoom weddings recently? No zoom weddings. Um, been trying to like figure that out for people. I think a lot of people are just trying to just press the pause button and hopefully, you know, in a month or so we can get back to it. Um, but yeah, no zoom weddings as of yet. So this is actually a, a fan question from Ashley in New York city and Ashley writes, not sure if you watched the docu-series tiger King on Netflix, yeah, totally. but, uh, on the Where Are They Now episode, Kelsey Safry, who's the worker who got their arm bitten off by the tiger, which is just absolutely crazy. And yeah. in the last episode, they said in a potential movie, they'd want Johnny Tsunami to play them. So if you were approached for a Tiger King movie, would you sign up? Totally. <laughs> 100%. Because here's the thing is like, I was quarantined the same time as everyone else. And Tiger King like hits, right? As we're all quarantined, right? So it's this weird... Thing. In, a, in, a, um, in a fractured society, um, like culturally, right? So we're not really consuming the same Thursday night TV show. You know, everyone has Spotify, so we're not, we're like, everyone's not consuming the same top 40 list on radio. Randomly, in quarantine, all <laughs> of a sudden is now consuming the same TV show at the same time. So this Tiger King thing, I watched it as well, and my girlfriend and I, my buddies were all watching, we're just like, holy shit, this is fucking <laughs> crazy. This is nuts. And I'm, you know, checking in with everyone as everyone is doing at that point, you know, your FaceTime with your friends, people you haven't talked to, calling grandma, you know, how are you doing with the quarantine? And they're like, I'm doing good. What have you been up to? I'm like, oh, well, have you watched Tiger King? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Grandma, you should watch this show. It is literally <laughs> crazy. Yeah. And so we have, you know, like that's just in my circle and, you know, and then that comes out and it's just such a weird yeah like collide you know collision <laughs> of worlds you yeah. know and then it's like yeah of course i mean like 
people have been asking me ever since that happened, like, would you do it? And it's like, that seems to be one of those, you know, cross off the bucket list things. Like, I'm not going to die one day and be like, oh, I'm really <laughs> bummed. I played like the one-armed zookeeper, you know, who got the arm bitten by a tiger. <laughs> who has like irrational, like, uh, loyalty. Who goes back to work yes. days. Crazy. And she or he shouts me out to like play him in the movie. Like, totally. Like, that's just so weird that I have to do it. Yeah. I don't know if it if it if it is going to happen. Like, heck, if I know, I see. I just saw Nicolas Cage is going to be playing. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, exotic Joe Exotic. So, I mean, working with Nicolas Cage would be crazy. But to be fair, there's plenty of brown people in the <laughs> world. I don't know if they're like, well, episode eight, Saf. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. Any directors listening right now? Brandon does his own stunts, and he will go in the tiger cage, right? exactly no this is this is a prosthetic this isn't even my arm so i've been waiting for this role i think there's actually two competing tv shows you have the one with nicholas cage and i think there's another one with kate mckinnon playing carol baskin so i think there's two shows you could possibly be on in this role yeah that's hilarious (laughs) kate mckinnon is carol baskin see so i've been wondering i'm like where is this gonna go because it's already a comedy yeah it has to be just either a dark comedy or you have to lean it even more. I guess so Kate McKinnon would just make it like a complete shit show. And then hopefully Nicolas Cage plays it super serious. Yeah, he has to. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like the original is already just a sitcom. So I don't even know how they, how they exactly. make it into, you know, a scripted television show. Totally. Totally. <laughs> Do you think Carol Baskin killed her husband? 100%. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. I believe that she did. <laughs> yeah the switching of the wills thing is what got me there at the very end uh oh, yeah for sure uh brandon i can't thank you enough for your time i just wanted to end on five rapid fire questions if you're ready good man any uh besides tiger king any other tv shows you're binging during the quarantine i'm in the middle of season two of ozark which i've saved and holy cow that's been awesome that and fleabag i'm in i'm in season two of both and both are amazing Great shows, great shows. Uh, surfing or snowboarding? Oh boy, oh my God. Uh, so since I live up in the mountains right now, I've been missing surfing. I was just out in the ocean today. So as of today, I'll go with surfing, um, but I snowboard much more. Gotcha. Uh, what is your favorite Disney Channel original movie aside from Johnny Tsunami? Wow. Um, I'm going to probably go in like the way back machine, but Brink. Yes. Brink was like my jam back in the day. Like I, yet again, I grew up playing hockey. So like just inline skates, that was just like such a thing. And to see, I mean, to see extreme sports on TV or in a movie back then, I think X Games was either barely starting or maybe hadn't even started. That was like mind blowing. Yeah. No, there's so many lists that come out now, like the top 100 Disney Channel original movies. If you don't have Johnny Tsunami and Brink as your top two, I don't even want to look at the list. You know, I don't see, I don't see High School Musical up there. I don't want to see anything else. Thank you. <laughs> Did you get to keep that urchin beanie from the set or any other things you got to keep? Yeah, I didn't keep the urchin beanie, which is a bummer. I wish I did. Maybe it's in a box somewhere. Who knows? Um, I do have the original snowboard from the movie. Um, I do have a few shirts that were in the movie as well. I have like the goggles. I have the Volcom um, zip up. So a few of those things are like, you know, framed in the whole, the whole thing. What about that red Hawaiian shirt? 
I don't think I have the red Hawaiian shirt. I have like an orange Hawaiian shirt. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Last one. <laughs> if, uh, if Disney Plus approached you about being in a possible Johnny Tsunami, you know, another movie basically where maybe Johnny comes back to Hawaii for his grandfather's funeral and yeah. somehow coaches a ragtag group of kids in surfing, would you sign up to be a part of it? <laughs> totally. Totally. I mean, I get this question a lot and acting isn't something that I'm specifically pursuing right now. Um, but I'm always open to like working with friends or working on projects that I'm interested in. Um, and that will always be one. I mean, that one is kind of throughout time has really revealed itself to withstand, you know, all things yet, yet again, we're talking about it now. Um, and that's the one that's yeah, probably closest to my heart. So for sure, if that were to ever come up, I'd be definitely interested. We'll work around the Tiger King shooting schedule. Don't worry. We'll get them both in for you. Uh, Brandon, thank you so much for coming on the Relunchables podcast. Of course, man. Thank you for having me, Jordan. Thank you, buddy. I would like to thank my guest, Brandon Baker, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciated both Brandon and Zach Bostrom's honesty and openness on the podcast and giving me and my listeners an inside look at what it was really like. From afar, it's easy to think that these kids must have had it all. And while I'm sure they had some incredible experiences, it just goes to show that everyone is just trying to figure out life. Anyways, you could find him on social media. He's Brandon Be Good on Instagram. And if you're looking for someone to officiate your wedding, give him a call. You can subscribe to the Relunchables podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us a rating or review. Five stars only. Until next time. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.